Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to simplify audience and business growth for creative entrepreneurs. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions, and we have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them. And that is it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that they and you can put to use. Speaking of no fluff, I want to give you a quick sneak peek of some of what I've got in store for our guest and you today. I'm going to share four ways to define your unique space within a crowded niche, five ways to make sure your ideal audience resonates with your messaging, and four creative things you can do to generate awareness for a new concept. One final thing before we jump into the episode, I've got a lot of tips to share today about how to define your niche and attract your ideal audience to it, but it's the tip of the iceberg of what I have to share on the topic. I've done a skill session, which is basically a one hour video presentation called the Niche Definer, where I share a simple system to clarify who you wanna serve and how you wanna serve them. Since you're listening to this, I'd like to hook you up with a little reward. I'm happy to give you a 50% discount on it. Just go to joshspector.com slash sessions and use code niche25 at checkout to get the niche definer for just $25. Or even better, become a Skill Sessions member and then you get all of my sessions. You get invited to monthly jam session Q&As where you can basically get consulting from me and you get all of it for just $197 for the year. It is a crazy good deal. And if you like my podcast, you will love my skill sessions. Okay, enough promotion. Let's get to today's guest. Today's guest is Anita Chaperone. Anita aims to inspire driven individuals to approach self-development as a craft, a more fluid and nurturing self-care set of practices that doesn't just aim to change behaviors, It empowers you to understand and work with your natural tendencies to move through life with less friction. You cultivate a stance of allowing, an intentional life path with more presence, meaning, fulfillment, and joy. You can join the conversations and enjoy her materials at anitachaperone.com. And with that in mind, hey, Anita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Josh. It's a pleasure and very excited by the intro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You sound pretty good, too. So so, so am I, right? I'm like, I can't wait to not only give you some advice, but also learn some more from you. So with that in mind, I know you've got some great questions. So let's jump right into it. What is the first thing you want to know? Okay, so my first question, and thank you for so generously being willing to answer these. My first question is, how do you enter or how do I enter? an existing market space with a new business that aims to flip the way things are done conventionally, to flip them on their head, without being unreasonably controversial, because that's not something I'm a fan of. I don't want to create mm-hmm. hype, but still leveraging the significantly different approach and why it takes, a, and why it takes sorry, makes a lot more sense. I aim to educate, not to scaremonger that uh, the way we do self-development at the moment is not optimal as it focuses on patching up symptoms and mostly aiming at discovering the root cause by chance rather than a little bit more deliberately. No, it's a great, it's a great question. And so before I get into some suggestions, talk to me a little bit, and obviously the self-development space is huge and means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So talk to me a little bit about how you see the sort of typical self-development space and then how what you're doing flips it on its head, as you said. So give me just some context for that. 
So as briefly as I can, because it is a large space, like you said, at the right. moment, the roughly and really broadly speaking, there's only three categories that are quite well defined. And that's outside of the corporate world. Corporate worlds, they use mm -hmm. quite a lot of robust methodologies already. But for the individual people, there's either the very stoically focused, read the stoics, philosophically approach the topic of self-development. And then maybe 10 years down the line, after some meditation as well, coupled with that, and maybe some psychedelics, you get to discover and design yourself in a way that you want. So that's the one camp. There's another one which is very, very lucid and you can be anything you can want, you want to be. And just you, all you have to do is just bring your inner goddess out and materialize mm -hmm. for you. And again, I'm sure all of these work for some people and that's mm -hmm. why they're a multi-billion dollar business or yeah. industry. And then the third camp would be the more rigidly, rigidified way of you must show up every day with grit and hustle, never miss twice. And then if you miss it, you get mm -hmm. back on the path. And then, in which in my experience, in some people tends to create quite a lot of self beating yourself up and it creates a lot of negative internal talk. And then it just creates more friction as you're going through life, which is already quite overloaded. So mm -hmm. the way I'm proposing to do self-development is more in the self-authoring space where you first, you, you start with getting to understand yourself first in the minimum viable mm -hmm. effort of all those. So my methodology specifically asks you to do five different very robust trade setting tests, and then it allows you to map them into what I call a self-map, and then you can now see yourself evidentially. Now granted, traits are not 100% you, but it allows you mm. some sort of a, an idea of what are your ingredients that you can work with, as opposed to just like okay. can be anything you can be. And this allows you a little bit, and then it's coupled with a, a epistemic understanding of how the human mind works to create meaning from the reality that each of us sees. And approaching things that way allows you to now to be a little bit more direct with your approach and what you want to resolve, as opposed to what is happening at the moment is we are encouraging people to look at a bunch of symptoms like, oh, I'm anxious all the time, or mm -hmm. I don't even focus when I'm working, or my energy is flagging, or I'm overweight, or whatever. And these are symptoms. They're not usually mm -hmm. and necessarily the root cause. So now you're just addressing the symptom, and you might spend 10 years looking for the right diet to lose weight, for example. Everybody right. was someone who goes on a diet at least once a year on a new diet. Right. Where if you start with understanding yourself first, you also learn how to solve the right problem worth solving right now, which is a rule we apply to business, but for some reason we don't apply it to self-development. Yeah. What I mean by flipping it on its head where you start by working from the bottom up, by first right. understanding what you're playing with, and then choosing the right solution so that you get to the result much quicker. Okay, that makes sense. And so just to say back to you, what I think you're explaining is that you're seeing a self-development space as there's these three kind of common accepted paths that people go down. And what you're doing, you're viewing as a fourth potential one, correct? Correct. So let me ask you some questions about some of the things that you reference in your question, right? So you talked about, which I completely understand and can relate to, not really wanting to be controversial, not scaremongering, like that's not your vibe, which I totally get and resonate with. But my question is, talk to me about why are you worried about being controversial? 
And I don't mean being purposefully controversial, but if part of what you're saying is these are the three common things, and I guess some of it is the word controversial, right? Saying here's the three common things that the way this is done, and I think there's a fourth way, is not saying those other three ways are terrible. It's not just throwing bombs. It's saying, hey, there's an alternative. And so I guess part of what I would say to you or ask you or suggest that you think about, I understand not wanting to be controversial, but there's nothing wrong with being an alternative. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree now when I hear you say it. Initially, when I started thinking about the kind of conversation that I'm going to start is I wanted to use the notion of flipping self-development on its head, meaning that this is something that is mm-hmm. that is really not talked about there are some amazing people that are talking about it, but it's very philosophically based and they're highly intellectual. But I want to, basically, I want to, by, by flagging up this alternative way of doing things, is I want to bring the scientific understanding of how our minds work or use that to help the self-development that efforts that yeah. people usually. And instead of talking about behavior change and habit formation just as a discipline, as a siloed mm-hmm. thing, we should start to talk about everything now that we know about self-development in one under one umbrella so that we can just use the tools that make most sense. Here's the thing about, because I think lots of people feel how you do, where they're like, I believe this thing. I don't want to be controversial. I don't want to, I'm not looking to get in Twitter fights with people about stoicism and whatever. That's not the point. But I think what's interesting is that if you think about it, anything that anyone believes is controversial to someone else who doesn't believe. Some things are more controversial than others, obviously, but everything is controversial to someone. But what's interesting is the people that it's controversial to are not your target or your ideal audience. And so it doesn't really matter what they think. And you're not going after them and going, hey, what you think is stupid. And that's why I said like the alternative thing, right? So this idea, no matter what you do, even the most popular concepts The idea that the earth is not flat is controversial to a handful of people who believe the earth is flat. Not a controversial idea, but whatever. So once you understand that and accept a level of that and realize the people that are going to find what my concepts controversial are not my people anyway. And I'm not going to seek them out and I'm not going to get dragged into arguments with them because I don't, that's fine. They can go over there and feel like it's controversial. I'm talking to the people that don't find it controversial. And it's funny because I had a conversation actually or an an interaction with someone on Twitter that I think is very indicative of, of this idea. She asked me, she was getting ready to launch a course. And she asked me, she said, I'm trying to figure out whether I should release the course as like an email course over a series of days where people get it, or I should just release it all at once, like through a course platform or whatever. I asked her, I said, why are you considering the email course? Like, what's the reason to strip it out over a series of days versus just saying, hey, here it is. And she said, because a lot of times people buy a course and they never look at it. And she thought that being in their inbox every day would keep their attention which I understand, but what I said to her is, why would you optimize for the worst of your audience? If someone's going to buy a course, buy your course and not look at it, they're not the right people. So it's one thing if there's a clear reason why the right people will benefit from getting it every day, or the right people are telling you, I would prefer to have a daily sort of thing. But your reason for, to me that you're saying I want to do it is because you're worried people are going to buy it and not consume it. They're not the right people. And so I think where this made me think of your situation is the worry about being controversial. The people that are going to find, because what you're doing is not that controversial, right? It's rooted in trying to help people. 
the, the people that are going to find it controversial aren't your people. You want to worry about the people who are going to get it and are going to find value in this. Again, you're presenting it as an alternative. You're not telling, you're not trying to convert people and say, Hey, stop doing it your way. Start doing it my way. You're saying if what you're doing isn't working, you're looking for something else. Here's an alternative. And there's nothing really controversial about that. Differentiation, which is really what we're talking about, is a strength, not a weakness. Drawing a line in the sand and not in a combative way, but in saying, hey, I believe this. This is for people who believe this. This is for people who the other things aren't working for and they want to try this. That's all a good thing. Where it becomes controversial and the part that the, the sort of negative version of controversial is I'm going to go out and just trash everybody else and try to win them over, and, which you're never going to do anyway. Wrapping your head around that will relieve the, well, is this controversial? I don't want to, the, the sort of hesitancy, the fears that you have, just your own mindset of going, well, wait, I'm not, there's nothing it's, this is a weird way to put it because on the one hand, I'm saying everything's controversial, but nothing, there's nothing controversial about what you're doing. You've burst my bubble a little bit, but I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> In what way? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it, it, you're showcasing exactly why it's so useful to have people like you with expertise to look in on something that should have been obvious to me. But because mm -hmm. I'm so close to my material. It's always um, so hard. It's always so hard with our own stuff when we're, when yeah, we're close to it. Appreciate exactly yeah. what you're saying and how you simplified the whole point of view because it's exactly cool. Yeah. And so let me like along these lines before we get to your next question. It's funny because I think the other piece of this is I think there are a lot of people in your position where they're in a niche, an establishedness, a crowded niche, some something like self development, but they do have a unique or alternative take on it. And they're trying to figure out how can I define that and help people understand that this is what this is different, right? So I do have sort of four suggestions for you of how you can define your unique space in a crowded niche. And these are, are universal. I think anyone can, can and should probably use these. The first one is you can point out that there are as many people that the conventional wisdom, the typical strategy, the status quo, there's as many people that's not working for as there are that it is working for. So when you look at the self-development space and people go, oh, these are my options, there's this, that, and the other. There's a whole mass of people that those things have not worked for. So you're coming into that space and going, hey, here's an alternative. You're not trying to convert the people that have found success with other approaches. You're saying, look, all of you yeah. people who this isn't working for and that are still searching, maybe this will work better for you. Point that out in your messaging and your content and your everything. The second one is point out that nothing in life is one size fits all. Again, certain approaches, certain systems are perfect for certain types of people. They're not perfect for other types of people. Again, you're saying, look, there's a lot of people this isn't working for. And maybe one of the reasons is that typical thing is not working for them is because it doesn't fit them. They need something else. This is going to fit certain people that those other things don't fit. The third way to define your unique space in a niche is to point out why the current conventional wisdom or the current approaches in this space are what they are. What were the origins of it? And in most cases, those origins likely come from a completely different time and place that in some ways may be relevant and in other ways may not be relevant. If you dig into like in the self-development space and you mentioned the three different kind of buckets, digging into them and going, well, how did these come about? And certainly in self-development, again, you're talking about going all the way back to Stoics and a million different things, but how did they come about? 
what was their origin? What were they meant to serve? What was the world? What were people like at that place? And certainly there are timeless things that can help people, but there are also things that we're in living in a completely different world. So it helps you define and carve out your space and your unique niche. The last way to define your unique space in a niche is write a list of everything you dislike about the current approaches, the current options, and maybe your experience with it. I tried this. It didn't work because of this. I did this. And I'm sure this is part of what has led to your new thing anyway, but write that down. And, and that becomes the foundational backstory for why you're going a different route. You're not the only one who has had those experiences. And, and you, I know, because I've seen your website, you're, I know you're already sharing some of this stuff. But a lot of people don't, right? A lot of people just go, hey, I have this new unique take on this thing, but they don't go to share, well, this is how I got here and this is why I'm doing it. And this was my experience with it. That's really powerful as you're trying to introduce people to what this thing is. Your explanation of, and I've browsed your website, I haven't read all of it, so maybe it's on there, I'm not sure. But your very simple explanation in the beginning of self-development is basically these three categories. And now I'm creating a fourth alternative really can clarify for people what is a very sort of broad space in general and where your place is. In. There's a simplistic version of that messaging that people very quickly can go, oh, I get what she's doing. Does that all make sense? It does. And thank you for bringing it up. That's brilliant. Actually, yeah, all the tips are brilliant. It's just this, um, this <laughs> last one. Didn't even think about it this way. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to your next question. What is the next thing that you want to know? The next question I have is, how do I decide or do I have to decide which one of two main messages that I'm thinking of to lead with first? And so the two specific choices I'm torn between because they potentially slightly different problems. One, self-development, i.e. behavior, mindset, habit formation. So do I talk about that or do I talk about the benefit that results from making these changes, which is a better work-life, rest, play, balance, which is mm -hmm. one of the main issues that us entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, creators face. So you're thinking, you're trying to figure out in terms of your sort of one-line description, your headlines, your that kind of stuff, you're sort of asking a features versus benefits question, right? It's almost or like Or topic. Yeah. Yes, a it's almost all. Even like people talk about habits, creating habits and changing mindsets and all that stuff. And yes, mm -hmm. they are feet, exactly like you said. It's a common familiar language that I can intercept people yeah. at in a conversation or do I go directly through to the work-life risk play balance, which is more of a long-term be benefit of maybe multiple behavior changes. Not maybe, but yeah. most often. So talk to me about, so I'm huge on transformation, I think as the unlock to all the copy, the messaging, the, the everything. So describe to me the transformation that you're going to help people make. What's point A, what's point B, what's the before and after? It will be different to every single person. And I'm not just copying out of answering the question directly, but huh? it is really it is really what, and this is one of the main messages, I think, behind what I'm trying to do is it's really what serves you right now. And I want to give you the tools to understand what is the right problem worth solving right now. Because again, going back to the very familiar example mm -hmm. of wanting to lose weight or just sorting out the diets, because people talk about this in a little bit more sober terms nowadays, right? They go like, oh, yeah. I want to eat health. And why do you want to eat healthier? Because I want to lose weight. And the problem is that the wanting to lose weight is actually a symptom. 
It's like mm-hmm. there's an underlying reason why you haven't managed to eat healthier and be slimmer as you want to be, right? And that mm-hmm. could be the, the root cause effectively, could be any one of a million things that's got nothing to do with diet. So you could be going on a new diet expedition researching thing and torturing yourself endlessly and not enjoying your food for the rest of your life, trying to solve this problem. And the actual problem is that you are really unhappy with, let's say, your spouse, or you're really unhappy with your current job, and it just doesn't light you up. You find no joy in anything else, so you find your joy through eating food, which is what food is meant to be, other than nourishment is also supposed to be enjoyable. So unless you resolve that underlying issue, which is causing you the anxiety, which is causing you the overeating, for example, you will never resolve the eating issue. So to go back to the original question is like, I want to equip people with critical thinking when it comes to habit formation. But to have that critical Mm -hmm. thinking, you have to know yourself to a certain extent first. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants and assume that the experiential understanding you have of who you are because of what people have reflected back at you, for example, Mm -hmm. or what your job has told you that you're good at. You can't mistake that as your true identity without the epistemic understanding of how you operate as an entity in the world, meaning how your mind Mm -hmm. works and how your mind creates the meaning of the version of reality you perceive because each one of us has a different, even you and I are now having this conversation, your reality mm-hmm. perception of that conversation is certainly different from mine. So let me ask you a question. Could you give me two, just briefly, two specific examples of like an ideal, I guess I'll call them client, but audience member? Because you said like, oh, they're all very different. So give me two examples of the person that's going to come to you that you're going to help. What do they, from their perspective? Because here's the other thing. I think lots of people get caught up in, you know what they need, but maybe they don't know what they need. So from their perspective, what do they think they need and they come to you? So I'm going to give two examples that are quite prevalent in the online business Mm -hmm. owner community, right? One is I want to to exercise more regularly. I want to be more active. Mm -hmm. What would be their desire, their expressed desire? Yep. And sometimes it is just about finding a solution for that. And that's fine. And then the mm-hmm. other example to mind is I am just so overworked. I'm working every hour God sends me and I just don't find any joy in my work anymore. So they thinking that they need to seek productivity tips and they need to get more efficient, for example, with their schedule and they need to do their mm-hmm. parting jobs to be done and all that stuff. And in actual fact, it might be that they're in the wrong job, full stop. They're mm-hmm. in the wrong job. Maybe now they were in the right job 10 years ago. Now they don't Mm -hmm. need a change, but they don't know that because they don't know themselves enough to recognize the symptoms. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that most of your ideal audience, they have a problem of some sort? They've already tried or are doing the things that people tell them to solve it. I need to lose weight. I feel overworked or I'm not excited by my job. So what's the obvious thing I do? Oh, I go find a weight loss expert. I go find a job productivity expert. I tried to do those things. It's not working. Or have they not tried to do those things yet? Which is the ideal audience for you? My guess is they've tried those things and it's not working. The ideal audience for me, and it's something that I tried to filter out through my questionnaire before they contact me, is a person that has already done something to solve it. Because sometimes you right. get lucky and you're going to find the right diet and it will resonate with you for the rest of your life. And it's great. That's what I figured based on what you were saying. And what I think is interesting is when we talked about sort of the transformation or your target audience, if you think about it as levels, so you're thinking 
on this level and going, well, some of them need to, some of them want to lose weight and some of them want to enjoy their work more and some of them, whatever. And you're going, well, they're all very different. But mm -hmm. if you go a level up, they're all the same. They have a problem. They tried the solutions recommended in that niche, in that space, and they didn't work. And they don't know what to do now. The root of their problem is not what they think the root of the problem is. So that is universal with your audience. So when you then get into your messaging, so when you're talking about, do I talk about behavior, mindset, habit formation, self-development, work-life, rest, play, balance? I actually think you're talking about how do you solve the problem that you haven't been able to solve? I'm just riffing here, but that's the language because what you want and what you want to attract is the person that goes, I have this problem. I've tried everything that the experts in that space say. I'll give you, I haven't talked about this much, but I'll, I'll give you an example. So I've done therapy for years. When I first went to therapy, and this was in maybe a decade ago, so it's been a while, maybe like mid thirties or whatever. All I knew was I was not feeling good. I did everything I could. It never occurred to me that like, maybe this was mental and maybe I needed therapy and whatever. So I went to doctors, I up my exercise and I would literally go to doctors and they'd come back and they'd be like, you're perfectly healthy. And I remember being like, well, but I don't feel good. But that's what people do. They go, okay, I need to lose weight. So I go try all these different weight loss things and it's not working. Or I don't like my job. So I do X, Y, and Z to change that situation. It's not working. Those are your people. And that's what I think your messaging needs to be. The mindset, the habit formation, the work-life balance, all of that stuff, they're tactics and tools that you teach people to help them solve that. But the thing that unites all of them, the transformation is, I have a problem I can't solve and I don't know what it is, to I know what it is and I've learned how to solve it. Absolutely. Love, love that. Thank you. That is a massive insight and it aligns with my personality as well because I'm a problem solver. Yeah. Thank and you. I think also it, it uses, it also uses language that you can see how if you had that sort of headline problem you haven't been able to solve, you can see how then the copy from there goes to like, have you been trying to lose weight for years? No diet, no fitness, no exercise, no whatever has stuck has worked. Like you can see that thing and you can see how people would read that and go, oh my God, like maybe it's not a problem with your diet or your exercise or your whatever. Maybe the problem isn't that you need to work harder or be more productive or whatever. Maybe the problem is you're working on the wrong thing whatever it is. And that I think will click with people. And so to sort of pull out from this a little bit, because again, I think this is another really universal thing that I'm sure lots of people that are watching and listening to this struggle with as well. So I came up with five ways to make sure your ideal audience resonates with your messaging and how you describe your business. So here are five things that I think you can take advantage of and others can as well. So the first is, and I just talked about it to understand, your messaging is always rooted in transformation. If you're not clearly saying this is what point A and point B is, your messaging is not going to resonate. That has to be really clear. A lot of people fall into the trap of just talking about the topics. I talk about work-life balance. I talk about self-development. I talk about habits. It's like, no, what's point A and what's point B? The second thing is your potential audience needs to be able to understand your messaging with no prior context to you and who you are. You see this in business all the time where people come up with like, or coaches are guilty of this a lot too. They come up with their own, my unique inverted pyramid approach, right? Well, nobody knows what the inverted pyramid approach is. So it's not appealing. It's confusing. 
no one's out there going, I'm looking for the inverted pyramid approach. It's like, <laughs> they don't know what that is. That's effective. And the branding of your method and your stuff is really effective once you get them in. But a lot of people come out with that and then they push that brand out front saying like, hire me as your coach because I'm going to take you through the inverted pyramid method. And they're like, I'm trying to figure out how to like be a better leader. Like I'm not looking for the inverted pyramid approach. The third thing you can do to make sure your messaging resonates with your ideal audience is and this is a huge one, use language your ideal audience uses. Read your messaging and ask yourself, is anyone in my ideal audience out there walking around actually using the phrase I use to describe what they want? We see it a lot, like people will use jargon. They're trying to play up like how sophisticated or great their thing is. So if it's someone who's like, instead of saying, oh, we're going to help your business make more money, they'll say, we'll help you increase annual revenue, profits, times the blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you're going to help them make more money. So really important. And a very simple check you can do is read your messaging and go, does anybody use this phrase? So when we talked about, like in the beginning, the idea of flipping self-development on its head, you know what it means. Is anyone out there going, I want to flip self-development on its head? You want to speak their language. Whereas when you talk about what we talked about before, there's lots of people that go, I have a problem. I've tried all the things and it's not working. What else could it be? I, I need a solution to this thing that is that I'm struggling with. The next one is ideally in your messaging. Your topic and audience are specifically defined. They're not vague. But the more broad one of those two elements are, the audience or the topic, the more specific the other needs to be. For example, if someone was going to say, I help people with self-development, those are two really broad terms. It's impossible. You wind up just, if both are broad, it becomes generic messaging. It's unlikely to be effective because you blend in with a million other people, right? But if you change at least one of them, again, ideally both, but if you narrow at least one of them, instead of I help people with self-development, I help CEOs who are moms with self-development. Now you've stood out or you go the other way. I don't love the word people in general, but let's just, let's say, let's just say business executives or whatever I help, or I'll leave it at people. Instead of I help people with self-development, I help people who traditionally have had no confidence learn how to be more confident. That's not great, but it's narrower than self-development, right? It's zoomed in. So when you look at your messaging, always look at that. How broad are the topic and the audience? And if they're both broad, how can I narrow at least one of those elements? The last tip here to make your ideal audience resonate with your messaging is consider how many other brands or people or products, whatever, in your space, which your messaging fit. If you look at your description and go, this could describe a hundred other people in my space, the less unique you are, the weaker the messaging is. Your description, your messaging, in theory, in a perfect world, only could fit for you. You see this, this is especially common in sort of businesses where it's like, if you think about a web design agency, most web design agencies messaging or positioning describes every single web design agency that exists. It's, yeah. it's a really good and simple test. How many other things would this messaging describe? Those five things, if you can go through those and at least nail each of those, your messaging is going to be much more unique and much more likely to connect with people. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to relive this episode and harvest those properly. Yeah. Great. So let's get to your last question. What is the third thing you want to know? The third question that I had for you was, how would you approach generating as much interest as possible from scratch? 
to raise awareness of the new way to do things. Considering my topic and considering that I don't like doing things the conventional way, which I'll clarify as much as it makes sense, not because I'm being contrarian for the mm -hmm. sake of it. And then mm -hmm. how do I get attention so that people understand the significantly better results they will get from the way I suggest approach things. So at the moment, just to be clear, I'm trying to just to start a conversation so that I can mm -hmm. expose the different nuances of it to the potentially ideal audience that I need to attract. Yeah. And also I don't like doing these, the social media outreach, the way it's conventionally done because it just doesn't conform to my, which we call it personality. That's the thing. So yeah. So, so talk to me about, talk to me about when you said you don't like doing things the conventional way and you said you, you would tell me, so expand on that a little bit and then also tell me what you don't like about social media. I have a, a long track record in business and unfortunately that is proving to be a little bit of a two-edged sword because I understand the underpinnings of a successful business and at the same time I understand what I don't like to put myself into for this business, right? So this is a fledgling business that we're talking about. And because of that, every time, and also because of the way my mind works and I've got this self-understanding now, as you would imagine, I like to be curious about the path forward. So the, because I've been in business for 15 plus years, most of the conventionally used ways are so overused and they're so oversaturated that they present zero interest for me in terms of applying myself consistently enough to actually gain any traction. Because as we all know, building a business takes work. When you say that, you're talking about the sort of typical standard marketing practices, that kind of thing, right? Ones you would find most saturated in the market as a course. Gotcha. Or, and also, yep. I don't, I'm not a selfie person and I'm not disclosing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Neither, neither <laughs> am I. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm very, not just for myself, but I think, I think selfies yeah. are about the worst <laughs> social strategy you could have. Yeah. It's not, anyway. So, yeah, just Go to ahead. finish off, I am perfectly willing to do the work, but it needs to be in the way that lights me up as an investigator. I'm an investigator mm -hmm. by nature, and for me, I have to see how can I make this better. So if it's already done, then there's nothing for me to move forward to. A few thoughts here. So first of all, I think I'm not one of the people that's like, oh, you have to use social media. You have to be on all these platforms. In fact, I usually tell people you should only be on one platform, two at most. But I'm not like, you can't succeed without social. Like, I'm not that guy at all. So I completely resonate with that. But the other thing that I will say is a lot of times when I find people are hesitant or don't really want to use social media, it's because they have a lot of assumptions of what that means and how they have to quote unquote do social media. When the reality is social media is just a tool you can use to serve and provide value to an audience. Yes, there are algorithms. Yes, there are quote unquote best practices and all that other nonsense, right? But the truth is, it can be whatever you want. So I say this about newsletters too. I write a newsletter that is one paragraph and often one sentence. You're not going to find any advice anywhere to write a newsletter that is one paragraph or one sentence. It works really well. People love it. So understanding that these platforms throw out to the extent, and again, we're all, as people who have done marketing and have had businesses, it's very easy to fall victim to like, this is the way it needs to be done. But understanding like blank canvas, like, okay, here's what I don't like about social media. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm just going to use this tool the way I want to use it, as opposed to the way most people use it. When you start to think about that and go, well, okay, are there ways that I could use this that I would actually enjoy? And again, this is true, not just for like social media platforms, but it's true for all this stuff. Derek Sivers, I think he's, I think he still does it. So this podcast, right? Most people are like, have a guest on and interview them. I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to have people on. I do it once in a while, but for the most part, I have people on and they're going to ask me questions and we're going to do three questions and we're going to keep it tight. But once you realize that, especially as a sort of creative person and not contrarian, but somebody who likes to do things differently, once you realize, like, I'll just take Twitter as an example, I can do whatever I want on Twitter. I can use it however I want. And there's a freedom within that. Maybe not. Maybe you decide I still don't ultimately want to do it and that's fine. But maybe you go, okay, well, what would I and how would I enjoy using this? I hear people all the time that are like, oh, Twitter is so negative and poisonous and whatever. And I'm like, you're inviting that into your feed. You're following those people. You're engaging <laughs> in like arguments with people. Like that's not Twitter. That's you. You've chosen to do that. I don't have any of that. I don't have that stuff in my, it's not hostile. I'm not getting like haters because it's what I'm putting out there, right? I say this all the time and it's true with social and other stuff. You attract the audience that you deserve, honestly. Like if you're putting out a certain type of energy, that's what you're, that's what you're going to get back. So I say all of that just as a sort of general, like, again, not trying to talk you into using these platforms, but sort of opening your mind to that they're, they're blank canvases that can be used in whatever way you want. And actually, if you do tend to use them differently, you tend to stand out more and attract more people. Like if you're not doing the things that everyone else is doing, it can make it more powerful. So the other thing in terms of going back to your original question and raising awareness for a new thing. So there's a few suggestions I have for you. So one is share the results that people are getting and including yourself in a variety of ways, right? Social proof is really powerful and it doesn't have to be the, look how many people bought my course, but like tell stories of people's experiences that are going through or conversations that you're having with people, all of that stuff, as opposed to, again, the more specific, the better, as opposed to a lot of the generalities, right? There, especially in the self-development space, there's a lot of like, oh, really? I need to develop habits? Yeah, no kidding. Instead of that, tell this is what this person changed to develop this specific habit. Another one is, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, Find people who are unhappy with the status quo, who are frustrated that they've tried. We talked about the sort of three different types of self-development. Find those people that are like, I've tried this and it, it's not working. It didn't work. Or I've tried everything to sort of be happier in my job and it's not working. This goes back to that idea of like, that's your core audience, right? Go engage with those people and try to build connections with them. Another one is create content, and this could be anything, it could be blog posts, could be social media, could be whatever, that challenges the assumptions. And I don't mean in a combative way. Here's why X doesn't work for these. I don't mean X the platform, but here's why this thing doesn't work for some people. And if you want, you can soften it, right? Here, here's why weight loss programs don't work for some people. And that opens the door to go, Sometimes it's a deeper issue, blah, 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 blah. Or this is the problem with most self-development books, making this up. When you start adding most, now you're not, it's less combative. This is why self-development books don't work for some people. You can couch it however you want. Because all that matters is the people that are like, oh, that didn't work for me. Maybe that is me. Or if this thing hasn't worked for you, this might be the reason why. That yeah. kind of content 
is going to appeal to the exact people that you're looking to attract. And those people are looking for reasons, especially the people that are like, I've tried all the things the experts say, and it's not working. They're actively looking for someone to go, oh, maybe that's why. So they're going to eat that content up and be likely to resonate with it. A step further with that is there's always advice about be active in the comments or replies and that kind of stuff. But obviously do it in a way that adds value, not a way that's competitive. And I think what's interesting with what you're doing is there are a lot of people with huge audiences in this space. The goal of a comment or reply is not, you're not, I'm going to make completely make this up, but like, let's say someone posts a thing about meditation. There are people on there who are like, every time I try meditation, it doesn't really work for me. I'm struggling with it, whatever. Go reply to that person and say, you know what? I can relate to that. Here's something you might want to try instead. So that the people that are out commenting on these things and going, this thing didn't really work or I'm having a hard time with it. Go reply to them, not the main one. Go reply to them individually and be like, hey, you know what? Here's some, I used to struggle with work-life balance all the time. Here's a thing that I found helpful. Maybe you will too. That kind of thing. The next thing I would say, and this is another one of my skill sessions. Oh, that's right. Another plug, ladies and gentlemen. Another one of my skill sessions is called the Relationship Builder. Again, you can get it at joshspector.com slash sessions, and I'll give you yet another discount code. Relationship 25, you can get it for 50% off, just $25. But anyway, in that relationship builder skill session, I have this exercise where one of the first things I suggest you do is map your niche. So what I mean by that is you're going to create sort of a map of all the people that are within the niche that you're focused on and creating. What you want to do, and an easy way to do that is once you find one or two people I'm sure there are people that you're like, I really admire the way this person approaches this. Their audience is the audience that I would want. Once you find one or two of those people, you want to take a look at who's being influenced by them and who are they influencing. And this is actually really easy to do with social media because you can go, especially like on Twitter, who are they following? So when you find this one person that you're like, they're great, who are they following? Because the chances are the people that are influencing them, you're also going to like and find helpful. And so you're creating this map of what your niche looks like. Besides looking at who's following who, you can do a Google search for like such and such experts, right? Work-life balance experts and just see who comes up and go look at them. And again, once you find one or two that fit your sort of tone and what you're looking for, go see who's influencing them. Twitter lists are good for this too, right? You find that one or two people on Twitter, you can see does that person have lists that they've set up of who they're following? But you can also see other people who have added that expert to their list. So you start to very quickly and easily see these connections and literally map out the space. And your goal ultimately is to put yourself in the middle of this community. There are some communities that are very visible, right? It's a Facebook group, it's a whatever, and you can see this is that community. But there's also these sort of hidden communities. Because you don't see, unless you go looking, that this person's following all these people who are also following this community of leaders or thought leaders or whatever in this space in your niche exists. It's just hidden because it's not like a Facebook group or whatever. And so that's really powerful. And then you can learn who to connect with. Who, and again, in the relationship builder, I go through how to identify and build relationships with those people. So the last thing I want to give you here is four creative things you can do to generate awareness for a new concept beyond just the typical post on social media and do that, you know, all the usual stuff that everybody knows. So four out of the box things that you might want to try. 
The first is you can coin a phrase that you can own. Use it in your content, use it in social, hope to eventually maybe it starts to spread. Say it all the time when you're on podcasts or any of that kind of stuff. Eventually, maybe people start searching for it, right? So a couple examples. David Perel wrote a blog post and used the term personal monopoly all the time when he was talking about owning a sort of content niche, right? And suddenly you start to see other people using that term. And it's like, well, where did that come from? That he created it out of thin air and now he sort of owns it. Joe Polizzi, who runs The Tilt and used to run Content Marketing Institute, years ago did it with the term content marketing. He didn't invent content marketing, but he sort of leaned into that. And then suddenly content marketing became this huge thing. And he was getting tons of search traffic and he had a conference named content marketing. And he's done it again now with this idea of content tilt. He launched the tilt newsletter. And so you can create a term that you can own that can sort of attract awareness and attention for yourself. It's basic branding, but a lot of people don't do it. The next one is there's strength in numbers. So form a click that becomes an immediate sort of movement. So I'm going to give an example from the music world here. So Questlove, who's the drummer for The Roots, and one of the keys to The Roots' early success, and they had been around for a while and like nothing was really happening. They were very different from what was going on in hip hop at the time. And they were a band and nobody quite really knew what to do with them. And they were critically acclaimed, but they weren't breaking through. And so they very specifically and strategically, I was just watching an interview with him and he talked about this. They very strategically were like, okay, we're going to partner up with a bunch of other musicians. And they created this clique called the Soulquarians. And it was Erica Badu and it was D'Angelo and all these sort of people. And they literally branded it. And all of a sudden overnight, it was a movement. It was a scene. It was a thing much bigger than that. So now they're press articles about this group of artists that represent a certain aesthetic and a certain mindset and a certain belief, right? So trying to find some people in your space and going, you know what, let's team up. It can be the informally, right? But let's promote each other's stuff. Let's maybe do some things together. Like they would each appear on each other's albums and, and those kinds of things. All of a sudden it's a thing. And one of the things that he talked about was at that time in hip hop, you had sort of West Coast hip hop and you had East Coast hip hop and you had Southern hip hop. They weren't any of those things. And the people that they, the musicians that they teamed up with in this Soulquarians thing were actually from different cities. So it wasn't even like it was like the Philadelphia sound or the New York sound or whatever, but they had this shared thing that became a movement. And so that, that's something that you can look to do. The third one is leveraging other people's audiences. And again, this is a common tactic of like, can you do cross promotions? Can you get on people's podcasts? Can you do whatever? But I also think in your case, can you get one or two people with decent sized audiences to try out your approach and share it with their audiences? Can you help them? Can you give them free coaching or free whatever? Can they become a case study? One or two of those people that have an audience can make a huge impact in your thing. Can you find someone that has an audience that has a problem that they've been trying to solve that they haven't been able to solve and you can help them do it and share that story. And you can create content aware around that after the fact or even during. Like imagine doing a podcast where you go out, you partner with someone who has an audience and you go, we're going to do a 10 episode season where I help you. We're going to almost like a reality show. We're going to chronicle your journey toward trying to solve this problem. 
Interesting, potentially. Storytelling. And by the way, if you do that, this is where social media comes into play too, right? You might decide, okay, I'm going to do that. We're going to do that podcast or whatever. And my entire Twitter strategy is just going to be about that. And Twitter is going to be a daily update on what they're doing. And the podcast is going to be weekly check-ins or whatever and go, that's what I'm going to use Twitter. Again, you don't, it can be whatever you want, right? Who says you have to use Twitter the way you typically do? You could just be like, I'm going to partner with someone. I'm going to do this 10-week thing. And we're going to tell the story of what we're doing in a variety of platforms or whatever. And then the last one here, really out-of-the-box stuff you can do to, to generate awareness for a new concept is create some sort of newsworthy stunt. Something that has a, and again, for anyone that doesn't know, Anita's husband is Andre Chaperone, who's like king of storytelling, marketing, and, and all of that. So I feel like I'm talking to someone who probably has heard all about this. But could you offer something for free in exchange for anyone who does the equivalent of burning a self-development book that didn't work for them? Can you create some sort of stunt? I know that's not the right tone, but you get what I mean. Some sort of stunt that either goes viral individually or that press or someone's going to write about. Give you another example that's less, less fire involved. <laughs> Could you survey people? And this one's going to be too negative for you too, but you'll get the basic idea. Could you survey people and release a list of the, the most useless self-development books? I surveyed a thousand people and these are the books that they said didn't really, I know you're not going to do it, but hypothetically, if, again, it doesn't fit your brand, but hypothetically, if someone did that, you could see how that would go everywhere. The goal is, can I come up with something noteworthy? Or you could go the other way, right? You could go survey people and go, what's the, what are the best non-self-development books that helped you with self-development? What are the best non-leadership books that helped you with leadership? Because the point you're trying to get across is if you created that, is that the kind of thing that other blogs would write about that feels noteworthy and your underlying point is that a lot of times what helps people develop is not the traditional self-development stuff, right? And it gives you an excuse to go on book podcasts and talk about what you found, right? So it's coming up with something that you can do that will get you additional coverage or give you an ex give people a reason to book you to talk about something or sort of spread spread the word, right? And again, stunts can get wild or they can get very simple. They can also be very heartwarming. I watched a video I'm going to share in my newsletter in the next couple of days. This woman has a YouTube channel and she goes out and she sets up a microphone and she goes to strangers and she says, step up to the microphone with your back to the camera, share a secret. And if you want to turn around and show your face, great. And if you want to just walk off, that's fine too. That's just a hooky idea. Again, you could, not that you're going to do that video, but that kind of stuff that it breaks through and will get people's attention. Any questions about any of that? No, it's, I just I really am grateful for speaking to you because you have opened up a lot of cans of worms for me. So thank you for thank you. <laughs> this part, it's easy. People come on. I just throw them a bunch of ideas. Now you have to actually go like do it. So, so Anita, tell people, I'm sure lots of people would like to check out your stuff and connect with you and learn more about you. Where should they go? Mine is very simple. It's anitashaperon.com. And it's like chaperone, but without the E at the end. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for your questions. They were fun for me to think about and come up with answers to. And I'm sure lots of, I know it's stuff that lots of other people in my audience are trying to figure out as well. So thank you on their behalf. 
Again, everyone who's listening, my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. If you would like to come on this podcast, be a guest and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions and submit them. I think that's how Anita did it originally, correct? I think you, yes. So see, it really works. I'm on Twitter (laughs) at jspector. And again, thanks everyone. I will see you next week if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening somewhere else, I'll be in your ear pods or wherever you're listening. Thanks again. Have a great week. Thank you, Anita.